here's Parks Associates Smart Tech Check podcast with Mark Vina. Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, leader of Parks Associates Smart Home Research Practice, and welcome to the Smart Tech Check podcast, where we cover all consumer tech topics that are smart home, home automation, security, and console gaming related, and much, much more. Today is Tuesday, July 20th, 2021. I hope all of you are safe and well. Uh, with today's podcast, we're going back to my regular format where I uh, want to tee up a bunch of great hot tech topics in the news with a few of my favorite, I use that word advisedly, uh, tech uh, journalists. So uh, let me introduce a couple of familiar folks who have appeared multiple times on the podcast. John Quain, who writes on technology for the New York Times and Tom's Guide, and Stuart Walpin, my favorite because he's, he's a baseball aficionado and I'd love to talk baseball with him, who writes for Twice and Laptop Magazine. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thank you. How are things, by the way? How's things in the uh, in New York? Because both of you guys are New Yorkers. How's sticky. the weather? I hate that. Is it sticky? <laughs> it it's is. not the heat, it's the humidity. <laughs> yeah, feel, feels like 150, right? But yeah, very you, guys, have, you guys have been down to Houston. You know how what, what Houston's like when it comes to you. I mean, I lived there for 10 years when I worked for Compact. Houston's tough. You know, I'm in Dallas right now. Dallas gets hot, but it's not Houston. It's not Houston. Houston, Key West, New Orleans. Bad places to be. Well, they're great to visit, but not Very really sticky there. in the summertime. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, we got a bunch of tech, great tech topics I want to tee up. Um, our, my, our other cohort, uh, Rob Pegarero, um, I, you know, he had the audacity to cancel on this because he had something else. That really bothers me. But we'll probably invite him again to the next uh, time we do this. But let's tee up those topics right off the bat. And uh, the first one I want to tee up, and, 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 and uh, Stuart, this was your topic. And I imagine I have to, I, I could be wrong, but my Inspector Clouseau-like instinct tells me that you probably have a real-life experience with this question. And about how many streaming services do consumers subscribe to uh, on, like, for example, and we do have some data on that, but for you personally, how many do you subscribe to, and is there a practical limit? Well, from, know, from, from, a, from a professional point of view, I subscribe to, I think, all of them. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I'm not, I, I'm not on Univision. I haven't gotten to Discovery Plus yet, um, mm -hmm. but I, I, I'm, I'm Amazon, um, Disney Plus, Apple TV, Netflix, Hulu, and I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out, but there's also this growing number of, fr of free uh, ad-supported sites that I've been looking at, the Crackle, Plex, uh, Zumo, um, Popcorn Flicks, um, Canopy, and there, there's like a dozen of these and more, which are essentially, they have a couple of name films that they've managed to license, and they fill it out with all of these directive video and uh, public domain films and old TV shows. And every 15 minutes or so, they put up a series of three to five 30-second TV spots right smack in the middle of a scene, often in the middle of dialogue. And so you have all of those. But it's very insightful that you talked about the personal experience. I, was look I had heard of this documentary about a Harlem music festival the same year as Woodstock, and I know I want, and it was summer something, and I could not remember the name of it, and I couldn't remember what streaming service it was on. 
And I, I did a web search on it. And then my wife remembered what the name of it was called Summer of Soul, which is highly recommended once you find it. And I go to Hulu and it's not listed on the most at the top of the list. And it just recently come out. And so the biggest problem is that it's mm -hmm. really difficult with all of these choices. You hear something that you want to watch and you cannot figure out where it is and how to find it. And, and I think this is just a growing problem that will eventually get solved. But right now, it's a real big issue on top of how many services will people subscribe to. Well, and we're going to get to that you know, that question in a second. But I guess the first one I want to ask is uh, when you subscribe, and this has been the problem with, with these streaming services, is that you subscribe to so many. And putting the issue of, of uh, subscriber fatigue aside, because that's a very real issue that People are, are subscribing to these services because they think they're they're, they're great. They get great, uh, you know, a, a free trial for a month or two. They can be canceled any time, and a lot of consumers, frankly, feel that hey, if I can't, uh, if I'm not seeing real value on it, if it's not sticky in that, I'm not seeing real content that I really care about, they'll cancel the service because it's so e easy to do. Um, and and but the question I have for you is, are you finding that you're saving money? Did you see, if you blew up your cable subscription, have you done the math on, well, hey, I'm subscribing to four or six um, streaming services, and this beats having a, a subscription with Comcast or Cox or whoever you use uh, in New York? Well, I mean, for me anyway, that um, that's not a question I can answer so, simply because I have to subscribe to get everything so I have firsthand experience with everything in order to write about it. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the, the main issue, there, there's two issues here. One, you're right. A lot of people, it's easy to cancel. So the, the, the sites themselves have a huge churn rate as a result, which yes. is they keep churning out new content. But the second and most important thing, I think, for all of these services and what keeps people from cutting off their cable, for the most part, is sports. Mm -hmm. None of these services, other than the HBO, ESPN, Hulu uh, grouping, um, really provides especially local live sports. And as right. long as local live sports is only available through your cable provider and a cable TV channel, most people, or at least I should say sports fans, will be unable to cut themselves off from cable. And I, right. strongly, I strongly suspect that some of the leading providers, including Disney, which obviously owns ESPN, is really looking very hard at trying to co-opt not only the national, but some of the local uh, live sports things that would make it easier for consumers to do that switch over. But how right. that's gonna happen, when that's gonna happen, I think that's a big issue. Well, for now, I think people are stuck with cable if they're sports fans. Well, it's John, also- John, you're here. Go ahead, John. I mean, the other, the other one I subscribe to is the Criterion Channel because they have all the art movies you know and that's the actual extra one that i subscribe to in addition to the ones that stuart mentioned but um I, I just recently moved so i went through this and i have two homes so i have two different systems i test satellite i have cable they set it up so that when you want that one station like tcm it's a jump of about fifty dollars a month just to get the one station they do the same thing right. to Stuart's point about espn Oh, if you want ESPN, oh, then you have to get the next package. And there's no a la carte 
way to buy it. And that that's brutal. So in one home, I have TCM, but no ESPN. In the other home, I have ESPN, but no TCM. I mean, it's just <laughs> because the packages are so expensive. I mean, we're talking over in New York City, well in excess of $200 with no HBO. You know? so it's, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, very disappointing. Well, and and the, the irony is, and, and the irony is, is that most, um, most, uh, we have data that supports this, but most, um, uh, consumers, when they have, a, when they have a cable subscription or a non-streaming, uh, service, they're watching the same 10 to 12 channels 80% of the time. And to Stuart's point, none of those channels are local news, local weather, and local sports. So that people are kind of married to, well, you know, where else am I going to get that if, if those services are not available on a streaming, service so it's an interesting um it's an interesting uh, problem i i do want to tee up the next topic yes and that is the, the, the problem that Stuart teed up and, and, I, and i have to say in all fairness it's not as bad as it was five years ago i mean i had problems like many consumers years ago where you, you're subscribing to multiple multiple ott services and you know you you download a movie that oh i gotta pay five bucks i'm watching the movie and then you find out oh by the way there was another channel that I could have watched it for free. I could have saved myself uh, right. six bucks. Right. But now there are many, many um, universal search engines. Xfinity does actually a pretty good job, although you've got to be a, a Comcast uh, 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 subscriber. Roku is actually pretty good. There's a number of services out there that are trying to go also, them, but they're not. They're not perfect. They're not perfect. Stuart, go ahead. Well, I mean, the the problem is on 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 the on the universal searches. There's always a suspicion, for instance, with Amazon, which is always going to point you to the the, the content which you have to pay Amazon to get. And so mm -hmm. it's very hard, and a lot of times, to trust these. The second thing is on the universal searches. A lot of times, when titles have common names or not easy to understand names, they don't always understand what you're asking for. Um, right. and, then, and they don't tell you when it gives you the list of things whether or not you actually have to pay for it or not. Some do. Roku has been very, very good about this. I've had very little problems using the voice search on Roku. Uh, Apple, mm -hmm. a little less so. Um, Amazon, even less so, because like I say, Amazon always puts their content up front, so you have to weed through it to find actually where you can get it for nothing. So I, I think the solution isn't necessarily just the universal search, but I think they're both hardware as well as service-oriented solutions. For instance, just today, we heard rumors that Comcast and Viacom are talking about some sort of a merger uh, streaming deal for uh, regions outside of the U.S., but obviously, if something like that happens, I think what we're going to see is some consolidation because so many of these streaming services are in such competition with the monsters of the industry, the Netflixes, the Amazon Plus, the Amazon Prime and the Disney Pluses are, are killing the other services. And it's also why I think right. there's so much original content because of this churn rate to try to hold viewers. So I think that over the next year or so, you're going to see some hard, more hardware solutions to try to consolidate some of this and create better search engines, as well as some service mergers to try to consolidate uh, the content into easier to digest packages. 
We'll you know, see. Stuart, I, I, I have to tell you, Stuart, that I'm offended that you implied that Jeff Be uh, Be Bezos, who, who made history this morning, would actually um, prioritize Amazon video demand paid content in a search engine uh, so that he get that extra three ninety nine from him, uh, from you. So that really bothers me that you think Jeff Bezos would do something like that. Just well, I have considering to say he's not in charge anymore, maybe it'll maybe they won't do it anymore. Right. <laughs> John, I mean, go ahead. John. It's been a problem for years. Uh, I agree with Stuart. Roku has done the most work on it, so they're mm -hmm. they work the best if you're trying to search across multiple platforms. By far and away, they're better than anybody else. They just put the work into it because you need the metadata and nobody would agree to you know what that metadata should be. So remember right. that ad years ago on TV, that IBM ad? Bring up any movie you've ever seen that was made, you know, and it, it did this whole thing, a guy at a bar ordered whatever movie. Well, we still don't have that. And it's like 25 years later. And the reason right. is they wouldn't agree to this metadata. So you can't search for every movie with Clint Eastwood across every platform because they just don't have the data out there. Um, Grace Note was another company that did a lot of work on it. Um, they did all the work searching for music on CDs. They just did the grunt work and sat down and basically built the database for it. So they were well on their way to it. At, at the moment, you know, people are using AI solutions. Samsung and LG have tried some AI solutions. We'll see if that gets them any further, but so far, you know, it's still really difficult to find what you want. It's yeah, yeah. No, I, just closing on this topic. You know, I think there's been a lot of improvement. I mean, I think the three of us know that years ago it was a, a, a morass. You know, in terms of you get multiple services, and the problem that I described before, I would frequently have. You know, and it would just drive me crazy. You know, I right. felt cheated. You know, I'm paying for this serv other service, and I could have found them, that show or, or movie or whatever the, uh, the content I was looking for. Um, but it's it's a um, it's a significant problem, but it has gotten better, and I do think Roku uh, probably has the best solution um, out there. But there are uh, there are I, I hope it will get better because I think this is the thing that creates that churn rate frustration that Stuart was talking about before. Let, let's hit the next topic. You know, I, this thing this bothers me, and this is not a new topic. This has been going on now for several months. It, you know, primarily, you know, a lot of the attention in the media, you know, call it two or three months ago, it's really about cars, and it still obviously affects cars. But now it's creeping into other things. It's creeping into televisions where TV prices are, are, are uh, TV prices used to be the most, you know, negotiated um, commodity that you could buy in the good old days where the MSRP would be at X, and you know you could buy that TV for 15, 20% less, you know, at, at retail or, or on, online. And um, it really is a problem right now in terms of just it's affecting just about anything that, we, that is utilizing intelligent silicon and ASIC. Those prices are starting to come up. So, John, I want to start with you. What are your thoughts on that uh, particular topic? And um, you, think, you think ultimately it's going to affect consumer purchases? Are they going to delay purchases until they see some relief? I think there'll be a little relief coming down. I mean, you can't just build a, f a fab plant, a fabrication plant. <laughs> I mean, that's just not something you can do very quickly. And um, we're definitely underbuilt as far as, you know, North America and Europe are concerned. And in Asia, they built more fab plants. But um, that's certainly an issue. But I do think it's going to straighten itself out in, you know, within six months or so, just because demand, as you just pointed out, demand will start to slow 
Um, a lot of people bought laptops during the pandemic. You know, they were yeah. back ordered televisions, the same thing, you know, with the huge demand for TVs. Um, so I think they've, they, that market is kind of saturated. Or it, so I think it will sort itself out. But you're right. I'm seeing it in televisions just because I, I review a lot of televisions. And a couple of times recently, by the time I finished the review to when it actually got published at Tom's Guide, the price went up on the TV. And yeah. I've never seen that before. I mean, never. The the editors usually say, hey, the price is $50 less or $100 less. But to see it go up was just a shock. Right. So never, it never happens. Never. Well, and, 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 if you're, and if you're a TV manufacturer, and, and TV manufacturing is not the kind of business that, hey, if the three of us decided, let's go into the TV business, right. uh, that's probably not a business we wouldn't want to go into because of the, 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 the capital costs and the, uh, the margins are not that great because of the panels and et cetera, et cetera. But it's the first time I can remember where uh, a category is coming up in pricing because, like you said, John, that just hasn't happened in, in, in our lifetimes in the last few months. So I want to get Stuart's view on that. Well, on, on the cell phone side, I, the first thing I want to say is that I believe the last story I heard was that TSMC, which is one of the major ship suppliers for Apple, is building a fat plant in Arizona. And obviously, Samsung has built a fat plant in Texas, which unfortunately was hit by the, the, the big freeze in February that closed it down, which contributed to the problems that Samsung is a big fab um operation but i think what two things you're going to start seeing i think you're going to see a lot more variety of fat they're not easy to build but i think a lot of these companies are beginning to diversify and build new fat plants to try to cut down on the funnel to open up the funnel that's the first thing the second thing is i think a lot of people are going to start following what apple is doing which is developing their own chips right now we know that google is developing the white chip uh chip which is what the code name is, the chip that they'll be using in the next generation of Pixel phones that will be out this fall. And both Xiaomi and Oppo in China are rumored to be developing their own chipsets. And I think these are all efforts to, to get out from the MediaTek, Qualcomm, um, off-the-shelf chip issue so they're not at the mercy of what few fab makers there are out there that they can institute their own designs so they're not caught up in the wave of everybody asking for the same chips at the same time that they can schedule their fabs for when they need them and have a certain degree of priority because they'll be better customers for the right. people who actually do the fabrication so i think i think you're going to see a lot more trending towards that because not only is it better for them on a supply basis, but it also will enable them to do what Apple has been doing, which is tie the hardware and the software and the operation together in a uniform, uniform, seamless kind of way that make their products better. So right. I think we're going to see a lot more of these companies developing their own chip designs, their own arm designs in order to escape the the the, uh, the the tyranny of of the off-the-shelf supply chain as well as to improve the 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 workings of their own products yeah and, and, and john you could probably comment on this because you cover the uh, auto space is that it, you know even in the automobiles right now from a pricing standpoint pricing up it's not just related to chips but but uh, but pricing certainly for cars is starting to creep up or at least staying flat um, but in many cases are coming up. And by the way, you can't even get your hands on the car anyway. I mean, in right. many cases, you know, especially if you're in the car, 
that you want with special features and they have to custom, when I say custom building, you have to build, have to build it from the factory, it's not on the lot. And, you know, car, you know, cars is one of these products that I think that consumers have become accustomed that and I walk into a dealer, I negotiated uh, hopefully a reasonable price and I drive away and uh, there's a lot of pain going on in that space right now, correct? Absolutely. Prices have definitely um, held steady and gone up a bit, and they've gone up as well in the used car market, which is yeah, which is crazy. gone up substantially because people decided they couldn't get a new car. Okay, mm -hmm. I'll go get a used car. Well, those prices consequently have gone up as well because of that. Um, yeah, they you know the chip shortages really impact cars because we have hundreds and literally hundreds of microprocessors in cars and ECUs and stuff. So um, when there's a couple missing, they were even trying things like, okay, we can't get that particular ECU. So what we'll do is we'll build the car and then we'll park it and wait for it to come out. <laughs> right. So they have lots full of cars sitting there waiting for chips to, to unfinished, finish. Yeah, un un unfinished good. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Yeah, so it, it is. It is crazy. And, you know, the pandemic sort of heightened all this, too, because there was the chip shortage. And then you had people saying, you know, I'm not so comfortable on public transportation anymore. And they've been buying cars like crazy. So yes. it compounded the issue. Well, let's hope for happier news next time we do the podcast, which is probably unlikely because we're going to do the podcast again next week. So I don't think good news is going to happen that quickly. Let's hit the next topic because this is a real good one. And John, you brought this up, uh, right. and the um, and here's the reality. And and uh, and by the way, we've got um, you know to be very very fair. Uh, this Pegasus project is not just with this Israeli company. There's a number of companies in the Middle East that have products like this, but. John, I'll let you kind of tee this off, but this, to me, this raises really interesting issues about the brand reputation that Apple has and that Apple is perceived to have this impregnable phone. Android phones have always had a, a pretty, a bit, a bit of a, maybe a bit of a wishy-washy um, uh, reputation for security because it's a much more open um, uh, operating system. But describe the problem to the audience and, and why, why even consumers should care, not just diplomats or business people or you know, people that have been kind of the target of this uh, this um, problem. Right. I mean, it's all about surveillance. So, um, you know, even if you're using an Apple product, there are many companies that will break into it and can easily hack into an Apple products. It's just not the case that you can actually keep something secret on it. In the same way, you know, people made programs that could break into all sorts of other corporate systems or break encryption systems. The question is, what do you do with that product once you've made it um, or, or surveil people uh, via, you know, uh, all sorts of different ways on the smartphones or computers, using the cameras, all these different things that are going on. Um, many companies or countries have rules about where you can sell products like that. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the main problem that companies are coming up against is, you know, today's freedom fighter is tomorrow's dictator, right? That's the problem. <laughs> so you sell, you, you supposedly sell your product to a legitimate company, you know, maybe a pro-democracy company that seems a free place, but then they turn around and use it for nefarious means. And you really don't have any control over it. Um, right. NSO, NSO is the company that uh, owns Pegasus. Exactly. They have come under um, criticism from journalists like myself and others many times before. This isn't new to them uh, because their, their software is clearly used by companies and countries and dictators to go after 
people are fighting for democracy, activists who are, who are making demonstrations and journalists. Um, and some of these journalists have been killed. So uh, it, it's a pretty serious issue. But I think it sort of reflects technology companies, what they face now in general, because if you sell a product to a company or a country, how do you know it's going to be used for good and not evil, basically? If you decide to work in China and you right. give them information and, and data that they demand that you give them in order to work in China, uh, Yahoo has run into problems with that where people disappeared because right. Right. Yahoo right. gave the Chinese government information. So um, I think it's you're going to see this issue more and more, you know, despite the best intentions. Um, it can it can really put a company in, in an awkward, difficult position. Well, I want Stuart to react to this, uh, this observation in that uh, the, the situation you have right now is that uh, iPhones have to be uh, jailbroken, you know, frankly, for you to do some nefarious stuff. You know, you, you, and the jailbreaking, for those people who don't know, it's a fairly sophisticated, not sophisticated, but it's not an easy thing to do. You've got to get a hold of the person's phone. you got to get past their, their password to install the app. It can be done, but there's issues with it. What's scary about the Pegasus impl implementation is apparently that you can send a text message, an, an iMessage format, and if you're, you know, um, call it, not, I won't say stupid enough, but you're, you're uh, ignorant enough to hit on that, that, that link, it automatically downloads that spyware piece and it infects your phone. And, and I think that is kind of a game changer if that's true. And the thing I want to get Stuart to react to is that, you know, Apple again has this, this, this uh, reputation for their phones are relatively impervious, you know. But, we, but even, you know, a few years ago when Apple had that problem when the FBI you know, uh, kind of went after, no, they didn't go after, well, they did kind of go, go after Apple, asking Apple for assistance to break into a phone. I think it was the San Bernardino. San Bernardino uh, Miller, yeah. Uh, yeah, if I recall, my memory's actually still holding together. Uh, the fact that I pulled that one out. Yeah, it was, and uh, and they, they steadfastly said, hey, we're not going to help the um, uh, the FBI do this. Yet the FBI was able to get two tools to be able to uh, crack those phones and get into them. So where is this whole Molass, take us, Stuart. Well, uh, first, um, just on the iPhone side of things, the perception, I think, is has to be interpreted the right way, the perception of Apple being better at security. What makes, what what puts Apple above Android, and first of all, I think I just saw a figure today that 63 or 69% of Android apps are, vul are security, present vul uh, security vulnerabilities. What Apple is good at is not necessarily providing or, or being invulnerable, but reacting very quickly. Mm -hmm. what I, from what I understand of the iMessage thing that you were talking about was that it can send the system, the, the Pegasus or whatever the system is, can send a iMessage that would be invisible to the recipient. And, and as soon as the recipient receives or reads the message, it does whatever it does in the background. I think it's that insidious. Right. Um, that's what my understanding of the technology was. So I think at what Apple will try to do is, for instance, they just updated, um, updated iOS to 14.7 just yesterday. And mm -hmm. my suspicion is now, now that they know that this vulnerability is there, 
that they will do something to try to block it, add something to the iMessage thing that will block those sorts of things. I don't know whether or not if you're a consumer, whether or not if you limit your text messages, which I did a long time ago, to only people in my in my contact list. I don't know if that's a solution or not. I have no idea. But I did that a long time ago simply because you get too many of these uh, spam texts. So I just limit well, texts to people in my book. But yeah, and I, and, I, and I have to just jump in there for a second because we only got a few minutes left here is that I have noticed, and it just can be my imagination, but I don't think it is. Over the last couple of months, I have gotten an unheard of number of spam-based text messages. And anytime right. someone anytime someone texts me, even, you know, it's not, not the Nigerian Prince emails that you find in your uh, junk folder. But when I get a text message that says, click here to get a deposit of $10,000, I pretty much know that it's it's a problem. You know, they're, they're, they're looking to uh, get me to try to download something onto my phone. and But it must work because there's a lot of folks that they don't know any better and they click on those links. So the, the, the phone has now become the new attack point. And, and not just, again, I have to say this, consumers should care about this because it's not just at the... Uh, government level. It's not just that the James Bond, we're going after someone who's obviously um, may have nefarious, you know, motivations. It could happen to the average person, you know, and, and by the way, not just by um, uh, bad state actors or, or bad uh, groups, but even people who want to stalk somebody, you know, I mean, there's lots and lots of tools you can buy in the market, you know, that they're supposedly for, you know, honest surveillance, um, purposes, but they're being used for bad things. And well, uh, it's kind of scary. Absolutely. And their corporate clients are their biggest customers, actually. Client, you know, customers, yes. Really, the corporations use these tools all the time to surveil all sorts of people, customers, clients, competition. Um, just think of Palantir, right? Which is sort of the, the dark lord of data analysis. Um, they've been caught up in all sorts of behavior and corporate things yep. and shenanigans. So yeah, it's out there, it's happening. Um, I think a lot of companies should ask themselves though, what do I do if if this happens to me and what should my position be and and actually uh, you know get those answers together before this happens to them. Yep. Well, it's it's uh, it's 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 both scary and fasting at the same time and I yeah. suspect we'll be talking about it one more time, but I want to close the podcast because I chuckled when I saw this last topic here. Did anyone go to Mobile World Congress? And the reason why I I, I, we, I want to talk about that for just 30 seconds, but I cannot wait to get back to events. You know, Park Associates is planning a big kind of, um, we are, we're assuming CES is going to be a big deal. And that's my plug for Park Associates because we're looking for speakers right now. And uh, and it's historically been a tremendous event uh, for the company. But I'm looking forward to seeing the, the, the two of you guys, including Rob, um, at CES. But uh, John. Did, did, you didn't go to Mobile World Congress. <laughs> I did not, you know, and I love Barcelona. I mean, I have no. friends in Barcelona. I love the place. I love the food. I love uh, all the Gaudi architecture and artwork and stuff. I just, I love Barcelona. And so, yeah, it's disappointing not to go there. But it showed, you know, they put it on anyway, even though people really didn't go. And I think what was interesting to me about it was, it matters that people are physically there. It just didn't get very much yeah. coverage at all. I mean, it really didn't do anything. And there was other stuff going on for those of us who cover technology. So we were not paying much attention to it. 
But when you're actually there in person, then you're focused on it. Then you get, you know, that, that coverage. So I think that was demonstration that I think trade shows are actually going to come back in person, even though nobody really went to a world Congress. Stuart, your thoughts. Uh, I was supposed to go last year, um, but obviously did not. And so I was not, so I was surprised that they even scheduled the damn thing. But I was talking to a a group of reporters this morning, coincidentally, um, and we were talking about CES and I've already made my reservations, but I made them cancelable because given what's going on right now, there's just no possible way in the universe to know what the world is going to be like in January. Um, um, I, I know some people who are definitely have not booked for CES yet. I did it just, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Um, right. But also the same question rises with Cedia, with NAB. So I think a lot of these shows, I think there's a lot of decision making going on. So the only advice I'd give to people who are watching, listening, or otherwise um, enjoying this podcast is um, is that ex- uh, hope for the best, expect the worst. Well, <laughs> you sound like you're describing the Yankees this season. But that, that, yeah. It's but, actually but, a, it's actually a Mel Brooks song from the Twelve Chairs. <laughs> well, the only thing I'll close on is that I think this CES that's planned for January, and I have a relative who runs the um, the entertainment area at MGM Grand, uh, Grand, and he's always bugging me on what's going on um, there. They, you know, their the bookings are up. Uh, a lot of space has already been consumed. It's hard to get reservations there. There is kind of an assumption that this will be the coming out party for the entire consumer tech space. So if it, God forbid, and I'll be very explicit about that, if that were to get canceled, I would hate to say what kind of signal that sends to the market. But um, I, you know, I will tell you for what it's worth that uh, what I'm hearing is that um, you know, people are assuming it's going to be a big deal. And I know that, uh, you know, my firm is right now planning to have a big, uh, a significant presence there. So, but anyway, guys, listen, thanks for your time. Uh, John, and Stuart, please, uh, let's uh, definitely, I, I, we've got to grab a drink and beer because I haven't seen you guys in a long period of time. And you owe me drinks, so I need to sit, find you guys anywhere. Where, where, and I will track you down when, when I see you in Vegas. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, please subscribe to the Smart Tech Check podcast on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great week.